Welcome to the 2024 Litigation Forecast podcast series, where our litigation and dispute resolution team shares its predictions and recommendations for business in the year ahead, brought to you by Minter Ellison Rudd Watts. I am your host, Alex Church, a senior associate in our litigation team, and today I'm joined by Sarah Salmon, a partner in our corporate and commercial team with extensive sanctions experience, and Sean Gollan and Aaron Lloyd, partners in our litigation team. In today's podcast, we will be discussing the implications of sanctions regimes on New Zealand business. Before we begin, please note that nothing we are discussing today is legal advice, and all information in this podcast is correct as at the date of this recording, which is the 1st of February 2024. First up, Sarah, can you just give us a brief explanation of what sanctions are? Yes, so sanctions are a tool that governments around the world, including New Zealand, are increasingly using to express their serious concern about breaches of international law or threats to international peace and security. The objective in mind when you impose sanctions is to influence foreign governments, entities and individuals to change their behaviour that concerns you without actually having to intervene and use armed force. So there are various types of sanctions measures, but they can broadly be categorised into different buckets, including restrictions on trade and goods and services, restrictions on engaging in certain commercial activities, targeted financial sanctions, including requirements to freeze assets and block payments, and travel bans and, and transport bans that apply to particularly sanctioned individuals. I understand we're seeing sanctions taking on increased importance globally recently. Um, Can you say a little bit about that? Absolutely. So up until March 2022, when we talked about sanctions, we were mainly thinking about the sanctions that the United Nations has imposed, particularly on countries like Iran, North Korea, Cuba and Syria but also a number of New Zealand's traditional allies in the West, like the US, the EU, the UK, Australia, have what's called autonomous sanctions regimes, which means they can impose sanctions outside of the mandate of the United Nations. But uh, in March of 2022, we saw a proliferation of sanctions around the world in response to Russia's illegal evasion of Ukraine. And so now what we have in all like-minded Western countries and countries like South Korea and Japan is the most extensive network of sanctions we have ever seen targeting the Russian state, Russian individuals and general commerce um, involving Russia and Western states. And with that in mind, what's the current state of sanctions in Aotearoa, New Zealand? So prior to March of 2022, the only way the New Zealand government could introduce sanctions was if a United Nations Security Council resolution had been passed obliging all UN members to introduce sanctions. New Zealand was not able at that point to act independently. But what the New Zealand Parliament did in March of 2022 was pass legislation under urgency unanimously to enable the government to introduce sanctions targeting Russia. And this measure went through so rapidly without opposition because of the New Zealand at large serious concern about the situation unfolding in Ukraine. Well, that's really interesting. And you only have to pick up a newspaper to see how the continued rise of geopolitical tensions is bringing sanctions to the fore. Um, Aaron, I'm wondering, could you maybe give us a bit of an explanation of how sanctions might impact New Zealand business specifically? Well, first and foremost, really, it's affecting reporting entities and in particular banks. So reporting entities being largely financial institutions that have pre-existing regulatory obligations in relation to their operations. And the reason why reporting entities, and in particular banks, become the primary receptacle, if you like, of these obligations 
is because they're at the front line of dealing with business and transactions that are likely to highlight or identify sanctions risks or sanctions events. It's really along the lines of the existing obligations that banks and reporting entities have under legislation such as the anti-money laundering, countering finance and terrorism legislation, where they've got an obligation to identify risky transactions, report on them to the government, refuse to take certain actions and so forth. And Sean, outside of the reporting entity context, in what other ways can it affect New Zealand business? Well, it has wide impact for any business uh, in New Zealand which trades offshore, which has a presence offshore, which even employs people who hold passports from countries which have themselves put in place sanctions regimes. Uh, Many businesses, I suspect, would be surprised to find that by virtue of any one of those factors, uh, they themselves could uh, put themselves in a situation where they could be at risk because of the application of a sanctions regime, not necessarily in New Zealand, but in a country um, overseas. A good example of that is a case uh, that we were involved in uh, in February 2023 called Targa Capital and Westpac, the reference to which will be on the show notes for this Podcast, But that was an example of a case where, yes, Westpac was a bank, was subject to, was a reporting entity for the purposes of the Russian Sanctions Act uh, 2022, the New Zealand sanctions regime. And it had a customer who was ultimately owned by a trust established historically by uh, a Russian uh, businessman who wasn't subject to full sanctions in New Zealand. He was subject to a travel ban, but was subject to full sanctions, uh, full financial sanctions in jurisdictions which, from a trading perspective, are incredibly important to New Zealand, specifically Australia uh, and the United Kingdom. And that caused the bank to uh, be concerned about continuing banking services to this entity, which could remain owned by this individual, sanctioned in these other jurisdictions. And so the bank terminated those services. The customer in, in question challenged that. They sought an injunction to stop the bank from terminating its banking services, and the customer was unsuccessful. And it was unsuccessful because of various risk factors which the court accepted uh, Westpac as a bank was subject to. And it's really that that illustrates the point I was making about the, the sort of international uh, impact of international sanctions regimes on New Zealand businesses. Westpac raised uh, capital in the UK through a associated entity. It, as any bank, had counterparty relations with correspondent banks and other financial institutions around the world, specifically in jurisdictions such as the UK, which um, were subject to their own sanctions regimes in which this individual was subject to sanctions. Uh, it was owned, is owned by an Australian parent bank, and this individual was sanctioned in Australia and had a um, number of personnel who were either Australian citizens or UK citizens, and so were technically subject to the sanctions regimes in Australia and the United Kingdom, both of which had extraterritorial sort of impact. So what that raised by way of concern for Westpac as a business was by virtue of dealing with international entities, trading in jurisdictions Uh, where this individual was sanctioned and having um, personnel who were uh, nationals of those jurisdictions, that created a risk for Westpac and its business and its personnel in in dealing with this particular uh, customer's affairs. 
And, and I guess that's why Target Capital and Westpac provide such an interesting insight into how sanctions regimes can be relevant to New Zealand entity. It sounds like it's not just the risk locally of enforcement, but also all the exposure that an entity, especially one like a big trading bank, might have overseas due to sort of regulatory risk, capital market risk like you've talked about, and then this idea of sort of contracting or counterparty risk. I wonder if you could just explain that quickly. The key point there is that it's not necessarily whether the business itself is subject to uh, its own legal risk of um, of being in breach of sanctions in New Zealand or in other jurisdictions. It's enough in terms of the impact on its business commercially if those with whom it deals in the bank in Westpac in Targa's case, um, correspondent banks, for instance, have a heightened concern about sanctions exposure and are keen to ensure that those that they deal with, such as the New Zealand business, are compliant with um, sanctions regimes, not just in New Zealand, but in the jurisdiction of these particular counterparties. And oftentimes, uh, whether or not there's a legal risk, the perception of a risk may be enough for some of these counterparties as a way of self-preservation, if you like, to to choose to uh, distance themselves commercially Exactly that. You can't always legislate for another party's appetite for risk. Sarah, I wonder, we've heard about reporting entities, we've heard about big companies with overseas reach. What other sorts of entities or parties might sanctions regimes be relevant to? Alex, I think there's at least four other categories of businesses that are directly impacted by these sanctions. First of all, investors. At the time of Russia's invasion, there were literally more than 100 New Zealand investors in the Russian market. They were holding Russian government bonds and securities, divesting those securities became very difficult because the Russian government introduced capital controls and a number of New Zealanders lost money because their investments were sold at cut price or they've been unable to divest their investments and are still holding them with the reputational risk that entails. In addition, there are problems for exporters. Many New Zealand exporters exported to Russia. It's possible in many cases to divert shipments elsewhere, but if you had a long-term supply contract, you may have had difficulty getting out of that. Then there's also service suppliers. There are a number of New Zealand companies who make their assets and services available in Russia. We have two clients who have had those assets essentially seized and they've been unable to um, receive any kind of compensation for those. And finally, another category of people in New Zealand who've been very affected is Russian nationals who live here, of which there are over 15,000, some of whom have a Russian government state pension. And it's been very difficult for them personally as individuals and also just corresponding, transacting with family members and contacts in Russia. So there is a widespread impact of this regime, despite perhaps what media and government officials were initially speculating back when this regime was introduced in March of 2022. That makes sense, Sarah. And people are always talking about New Zealand's sort of import-export economy. I know we've been focused on Russia and the Russian sanctions regime, both here and abroad, but this has effect all around the globe for different reasons. It's really an example of, of that broader risk of regulatory engagement with overseas jurisdictions. For example, banks will be doing transactions for clients in US dollars or pounds or euros, right? When they're doing a transaction in US dollars, then they are exposing themselves to the US regulatory regime, either personally or at least at a practical level, where, for example, a US dollar payment gets held up because the US regulator or one of the US banks or someone in the US jurisdiction is concerned about potential sanctions implications. And you're right, it doesn't have to be Russia. It could be any one of the kinds of countries Sarah referred to earlier that have been subject to UN sanctions for a long time. 
That can create both a regulatory risk for the reporting entity here in New Zealand, but also a practical risk for the company doing the international business. And Sarah talked about the risk for exporters who are doing business into sanctioned or newly sanctioned countries in, in the case of Russia. But it actually really applies much more broadly to any New Zealand business with any international transactions. They just need to be conscious of, is there anywhere in the transaction flow that could impact, have a sanctions impact on it, either from a regulatory point of view or from that practical level where perhaps a foreign regulator is going to slow things down? Yeah, if I can just amplify that too, it's, it's not just the legal risk, right? It's the fact that if you are a business who is an exporter and you're expecting to be paid for the product that you've supplied, you know, receiving that payment is going to be important to you and receiving it in a timely manner is going to be important in terms of your cash flows. And if that's held up because it's flowing through a US bank because it's being paid in US dollars, for instance, and it flags a concern by that institution about whether processing that transaction could create problems for that bank under its own sanctions laws, that's going to slow the process of you getting paid for what you supply, right, commercially. So it's not just the risk that you might have from doing a direct transaction, say, with a sanctioned individual. It's all these intermediary steps that might sort of expose people or think it exposed people to regulatory risk either at home or abroad for them, which can slow down a transaction, a delivery, goods and services for any kind of business. Having talked about, I guess, a few examples, what sanctions are, how they might impact you, is what's next for sanctions? Sarah? So I think there are three things on the cards for sanctions in New Zealand this year. The first of which is likely law reform. So uh, in 2018 and 2021, the two bills were put before our parliament to create an autonomous sanctions regime, which would enable New Zealand to impose sanctions independent of UN Security Council resolutions. On both cases, those bills were defeated, but they were supported by the national government, the ACT Party and New Zealand First. Now we have those three parties in government. At the same time, we have an expert group that was formed at the beginning of the last year to advise NFAT on whether to create an autonomous sanctions regime. And that group has reported back to NFAT, and NFAT will be discussing its recommendations with the new minister, Winston Peters. So I would not be surprised if we saw an autonomous sanctions bill before Parliament um, this year. Secondly, I think we are going to inevitably see more disputes between banks and their customers. Banks in New Zealand have an increasingly uh, risk-averse approach to sanctions. They are exposed to a lot of risk. They try to minimise that where possible by refusing to engage in certain types of high-risk transactions and activity. And that, of course, frustrates their customers who think, the law permits this, why won't my bank receive this money, organise this payment? And so we're seeing a lot of tensions between banks and their customers. The third thing I think we're going to see globally and New Zealand is more enforcement activity. We've seen Western governments for two years imposing more sanctions measures against a country than we have ever seen before. It is public knowledge. All of the um, regulators in Western countries have said they are now focusing on enforcement, New Zealand governments have said the same thing. So we can expect the Police Financial Intelligence Unit to be doing more investigations and potentially prosecuting more people for alleged sanctions breaches. But that regulatory oversight is not just sort of focused on sanctions compliance, is it? Oh, look, Alex, that's exactly right. I mean, we've seen over the last 10 to 15, maybe even longer years, New Zealand increasingly uh, putting in place increased regulatory obligations 
in a range of sort of white collar regulatory areas, whether it be AML CFT, whether it be anti-bribery and corruption law changes, uh, insider trading changes, uh, financial uh, sector controls. Uh, and we have, uh, after the adoption, then sometimes slowly and sometimes more quickly seen increased resources being put into investigations and then enforcement action. The FMA, the SFO, Commerce Commission uh, are just some of the regulators that have seen their enforcement investigations and enforcement actions uh, increase significantly over that period of time. And this is really just an extension of that. So to the extent that businesses have already on their risk register got regulatory enforcement risk, this is another thing to add to that regulatory enforcement risk. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for your insight and expertise. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review, or follow Minter Allison Rudd Watts wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to receive new podcast episodes directly in your inbox via our website at minterallison.co.nz.